Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. And let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in verse 1, please. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which among the Jews, wherefore I beseech you to hear me patiently. Once again, Paul is very deferential. And here Paul is speaking to King Agrippa. And it says in verse 1 how Paul stretched forth the hand. He's ready to give a testimony. He won't preach the gospel per se, although he will skirt pretty near to it. But he's going to give his testimony because he knows that such an event is pleasing to the Lord. Many times we find ourselves in the presence of unsaved people who are interrogating us. We sometimes lose confidence in ourselves and that's okay just rest assured you are very much in the will of the lord but paul from two says i think myself happy and very pleased to be here king agrippa the third and final king from the line of herods because i should answer for myself this day before thee touching all the things concerning all the things wherefore or whereof i'm accused of the jews now paul like moses was originally not one of them Suspicion, therefore, and rejection slash rebellion was quite normal. Jealousy, too, to some extent. Paul, like Moses, was considered a traitor for jumping ship, and yet nothing could be further from the truth. So, therefore, Paul, as a saved Jew, is about to give a testimony. And Agrippa is very much pig in the middle. He's a king, and yet he's simply here at the good pleasure of Festus. And at the same time, like his father and like his grandfather, he's very eager to listen to what Paul is about to say to him. But I'm fascinated with verse 3. Because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. And yet, as an expert as he was, salvation didn't come as a result of him being such an expert. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Bear with me, O king. I'm going to speak for the next 32 verses. Look at verse 4, please. My man of life, my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, not all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, that they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. I'm a Pharisee, and I'm known by my peers. And like I say, Moses, like Paul, wasn't one of them. Moses, like Paul, was a Jew, of course, but Moses was raised in royalty, and Paul was raised in organized religion. So therefore, Moses' people were suspicious of him initially, and Paul's crowd were suspicious of him as well. And yet the Lord chose Moses, and the Lord chose Paul as well. Look at verse 6, please. Now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused of the Jews. The hope that they were awaiting, first of all, would be the Messiah, Secondly, a national resurrection. And again, Paul doesn't preach the gospel to King Agrippa, Festus, or Bernice. He simply is giving his testimony. Verse 8. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you, that God should raise the dead? I've already thought of myself, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints that I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave them a voice against them complicit in their death and I punished them off in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad against them 
I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Compelled them to blaspheme. Compelled them to deny Jesus being Jehovah. And this goes back to what I said last week. That even the best have their limits. The best of the best would bend. The best of the best would compromise. And some back in the days of Nero and Titus would deny the Lord Jesus Christ in order to save their skins. But here... Paul, being exceeding mad, infuriated with this group known as the Way, wanted to destroy them. 12. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. He's saying this, that if you're going to put me on the stand, how about putting the chief priests on the stand as well? Because I got my orders Verse 12, I got my authority, I got my arrest warrants, verse 12, from the chief priests. But at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, S-U-N, the sun, not S-O-N, the son of God, but the sun. Of course, the sun is a type of Christ, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. I love the attention to detail. At midday, on the dot. Look at verse 14. When we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, So, so, why persecutest thou me? It is hardly the kick against the pricks. We were all fallen to the earth, Paul and his traveling companions. And I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, not Aramaic, not Greek, but in the Hebrew tongue, which Paul heard and was able to decipher. And yet his colleagues weren't able to decipher. They heard a sound, of course. But they couldn't decipher what was being said. And that term, once again, for your eyes only, need to know. This was only relevant to Saul, who starts bad and ends good. And yet King Saul, back in the Old Testament, started good and would end bad. So, Saul, why persecutest thou me? If you despise one of my children, you are despising me. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. But they've all fallen down to the earth and probably on their faces with great fear. And yet, from the word of God, when it speaks about those coming into contact with deity and getting saved, would fall also on their faces. But enemies of the Lord, according to John chapter 18, would fall backwards. Look at 15. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Who art thou, Lord? Greek being kulios, and if it's spoken of in Hebrew, probably Elohim. El Gabor or Adonai. He's saying this. Who are you Lord? Who are you Jehovah? Who are you Elohim? And he said I am Jesus. Whom thou persecutest. He's been knocked flat on his face. Acts chapter 9 verse 6. And he says to Jesus. Who are you Lord? Who are you my Lord? Who are you Jehovah? Within one verse. He's gone from being an enemy. To a child of God. But on top of that he recognizes, he affirms Christ's deity. I am Jesus, meaning Jehovah saves, whom thou persecutest. So next time you speak to a Christian with contempt, just think about what you are saying and what you are doing, because such a person has Jesus living within them. 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things, which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, 
and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. This is very interesting. Let's break it down. 16. But rise, do something, appropriate the atonement, but more specifically, you're now in the Lord's army, and stand upon thy feet. Get up and go. Joshua tell the children of Israel back in the Old Testament to go into the land and take the land. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. Paul would see the risen Christ physically to make thee a minister, being a servant and a witness. Both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. If you're saved, you are a witness as well. You are an ambassador for Christ, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. They want to kill you, Paul, but to persevere on, to open their eyes in a spiritual sense, and to turn them from darkness to light. Before you are saved, you are in darkness, hence why you need to be born again, and from the power of Satan unto God. Before you are saved, Satan is your God and Father, in a spiritual sense, of course, that they may receive forgiveness, past, present, and future sins, and inheritance among them which are sanctified, Set apart by faith that is in me. You're saved by faith in Christ alone. But you have to receive forgiveness of sins. You have to personally appropriate the atonement. Christ has died on the cross for the sins of the world. But you have to personally appropriate it. Which means this. You have to turn in faith to Jesus Christ to be saved. No works involved whatsoever. And this term one more time for forgiveness of sins is all of your past, all of your present and all of your future sins. It's a done deal. When Christ hung on a cross, he would say it is finished and it was finished. When Christ went into glory, he went into the Holy of Holies and put his blood in the Holy of Holies. So one off act. And you were told from Hebrews chapter 9 how through the eternal spirit he has obtained everlasting life for those that will receive it. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. This piece of scripture from 20 gets cited time after time by the Lordship Salvation crew. That they should repent, which means quite simply to change your mind, and turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. And people say, have you done works meet for repentance? Have you turned from all of your sins? Well, keep your hand in Acts 26 and go back to Matthew chapter 3. Scripture with scripture, because there's one thing which really infuriates me is this ongoing debate from the Lordship Salvation Crew, which attack justification by faith and put wicked works into the equation. This term to do works meet repentance is what John the Baptist spoke about from Matthew chapter 3. Look at verse 7, please. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What a nice thing to call people. Vipers. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. Did you get that from verse 8? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. What he's saying at verse 9. I think not to save them yourselves. We have Abraham to our father. We have Mary in the mass and the priest. We're going to trust in that to save us. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. He's going to bypass such people, being the Jews, and turn to the church. So these verses from 7, 8, and 9 cross-reference back to 
Acts 26 are simply making the case that the Jews would have to do works meet repentance. Meaning what? Humble themselves. You see, this is a heart issue, not a head issue. Stop trusting in Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Stop bragging about being one of the children of Israel. Stop trusting in your tainted tradition. And if you are a Catholic, stop trusting the Mass and Mary and the priest. And if you are a Muslim, stop trusting in Muhammad. That's the whole context of Matthew 3, 7, 8, 9, also going down to 10. Cross-reference back to Acts 26. Now back to Acts 26, please. And you take these verses together and you get a very clear picture of grace alone. To the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. Change your mind. Be sorry for who you are and what you are. Stop putting your faith in many gods and do works meet for repentance. Humble yourself. That's the meaning to this piece of scripture. There's no works involved. There's no being baptized or joining a local church or quitting this or quitting that. You're no good. Before you got saved, you were no good. And even after you are saved, you're still no good. Even with Christ's imputed righteousness, you're still no good. You still fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, you need to trust in Christ to die for your sins. But this message gets preached, first of all, to those in Damascus, being the Jews, and at Jerusalem, being the Jews, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, being the Jews as well. And then to the Gentiles, that they, all of the unsaved Jews, and all of the unsaved Gentiles, should repent one last time, and turn to God, Jehovah, the one true God, and do works meet for repentance. Humble yourself, stop trusting in yourself, stop trusting in your religion, stop trusting in anyone or anything, but trust in Jesus Christ alone to be saved, and that will save you. And also from Ephesians chapter 2, you are then saved unto good works. 21. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Why? Because they loved their tradition, like the Catholic Church loves their tradition, like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists and the Mormons love their tradition take it away from them they got nothing and that's why such people are tangled up in their tradition they love their tradition more than truth on top of that the jews were suspicious of paul again much like they were moses and they were very jealous and envious as well what would solomon say nothing new under the sun look at 22 please having therefore obtained help of god i continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great saying none other things than those which the prophets and moses did say should come that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. All the Old Testament prophets spoke directly and indirectly about Christ being the Messiah. But 23, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and should show light unto the people, being the Jews first and foremost, and to the Gentiles. And you were told back in John chapter 10 how Christ had others that were not yet of his flock. And the Mormons think that is referring to them. No, it's referring to the Gentiles. Once you are saved, you are in the body of Christ. Jew or Gentile makes no difference. Once you're in Christ, you are a part of the body of Christ. 24. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Festus speaks with a loud voice. To intimidate him, perhaps, or to ridicule him. But I'm on, I think to myself this, I'm wondering, is Festus demon-possessed? Because back in the Gospels, when people spoke with a loud voice, they were either spirit-possessed, being the Holy Ghost, of course, or devil-possessed, being Satan, of course. And I showed that in verse 18. From darkness to light, Satan to God, two kingdoms, 
You're either with the Lord or against him. You're either in Christ or against him. There's no middle ground. There's no sitting on the fence. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. And yet Paul is speaking to Agrippa, 26.1. And yet Festus is battered in. Festus is probably convicted and at the same time perhaps confused. But he speaks with a loud voice, which again makes me wonder if he was demon-possessed. Look at 25. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Paul was so polite. But the message that Paul is preaching goes right over the head of Festus. Because until you're born again, you are dead in your sins. And yet Paul is appealing to King Agrippa. He thinks that Agrippa can grasp this message. And yet Festus, completely unable to comprehend it, thinks Paul has lost his mind. Much learning doth make thee mad. I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. Unlike the Freemasons, which meet in secret buildings, blacked out windows, closed doors. In fact, there's a mosque not far from where I live, which is very similar to a Masonic meeting place. Blacked out windows, locked doors, security outside. What are they hiding in there? But Paul says, I'm not uh, guilty of such a thing. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. He's heard my preaching. He's heard John the Baptist's preaching. James, the son of Zebedee's preaching through his father, of course. He heard Christ's preaching. His grandfather met the Magi's. But this thing was not done in a corner. We don't hide our faith. We preach the gospel in season or out of season. Look at verse 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. I love this piece of scripture. King Agrippa, your majesty, do you believe the prophets? Believest thou the prophets? The Old Testament. I know that thou believest. What a thing to say. I know you believe. And yet where was the fruit? Agrippa was married or in a relationship with his sister. Agrippa was a wicked man. There's no evidence that Agrippa was a saved man. And yet Paul says, no, Agrippa, you know the scriptures. I am convinced that you believe the scriptures, not just know the scriptures, but that you believe the scriptures. And this goes back to a conversation I had some weeks ago in central London, a place called Speaker's Corner. And uh, some Muslims were firing questions at me. And I tried to say to one of them before they spoke over me that it's all very well to quote the scripture. But do you believe the scripture? But here, Paul is convinced that King Agrippa is a believer of the prophets of the scriptures. This is really interesting. Look at 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Just picture this for one moment, if you will. King Agrippa, the third and final king, put over the children of Israel by the Romans, despised by the Jews, and yet this individual is on the cusp of becoming a Christian. Paul has put him on the spot, and probably Festus was absolutely shocked. Festus, the governor of Judea, is beside himself. He thinks that Paul has lost his mind, and Paul very politely says, no, what I say is correct. And on top of that, what I'm saying this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whatever time it was, King Agrippa knows that such statements from myself are true. This is such a fascinating piece of scripture. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Look at verse 29. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, 
but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. In other words, be as I am, trust in my Saviour, but without these bonds. In other words, I don't want you to be bound with these bonds, a bit of humour there, but what really comes through clearly from 29 is there's no limited atonement. I would to God that not only thou, being Agrippa, but also all, Festus, Benice, and all the other dignitaries present, that hear me this day, faith comes by hearing, and hear by the word of God, were both almost and altogether such as I am, saved and washed in the blood, except these bonds. I don't want to see you people shackled as a common criminal. When he thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Benice, and they that sat with them. When they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of deaths or of bonds. Of course not. He was on trial due to envy and suspicion, hatred and contempt. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. That's true. And yet Paul, very much in the will of the Lord, is loving his audience, rejoicing in the fact that he's able to share his testimony, not the gospel per se, and yet due to Paul's meekness and being overly sensitive to his audience and being very articulate he almost brings Agrippa to become a Christian he almost gets Agrippa to confess Christ as Lord and yet perhaps Agrippa didn't want to lose face like his father back in the Gospels who wanted to cure John the Baptist to win favor with his second wife on top of that, he wanted his second wife's daughter for himself. So Agrippa, like most men, was spineless. Agrippa, like most men, was weak. And Agrippa, like most men, capitulated. Didn't get saved, but he says to Festus, this man, 32, might have been set at liberty if he hadn't appealed unto Caesar. And yet, don't worry, Paul's going to go up to Rome with Luke and co, preach the gospel to the Jews in Rome. And some will get saved, chapter 28, and some remain unsaved but as Solomon would say there's nothing new under the sun so there you are Acts 26 32 verses praise the Lord done in one live service just to very briefly wrap this up I will say this that Paul was very gracious and Paul waited to be permitted 26 verse 1 to speak for himself Paul didn't go in all guns blazing like John the Baptist probably did and as a result would lose his head and Paul first of all starts by laying his case out to King Agrippa how he is on trial for being a Jew who was faithful all of his life and was waiting for the Messiah to come but on top of that was being detained due to his faith in the resurrection he says he was a Pharisee and he's very proud to share such a statement from verse 5 and yet from Philippians chapter 3 he would tell you that it was all done what he wanted to do was to win Christ and be found in him verse 8 why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? And that's what separates our God from all other gods. In fact, Muhammad was asked to do a miracle on one occasion and he couldn't do a miracle. And yet Christ did miracles left, right and centre, as did Paul, as did Peter, as did James and John. But he says in verse 9, I've already thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. He's saying I too thought such a thing was incredible and yet I went to Jerusalem and I shut up in prison many of the saints. That's a term for all Bible-believing Christians. Not those that are made saints by the Catholic Church. But those that are saved 
shut them up in prison. I got authority, permission from the chief priests, arrest warrants, so on and so forth. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. He's saying, Agrippa, I'm a saved man. I've gone from religion to relationship. On top of that, I'm ashamed to say from verse 11, how I punished them oft in every synagogue. Still speaking about the Jews, not the Gentiles. And compelled them to blaspheme, deny Christ, turn your back on him, and being exceedingly mad against them, like Muslims are today towards Christians around the world. And I persecuted them even into strange cities. I drove them out. I tried to force them underground. I got my permission. I got my authority from the chief priests like Caiaphas and Annas and the others from organized religion. But around midday, verse 13, O king, I saw a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. It dazzled me. It blinded me. I'd be blind physically for three days. I've been blind spiritually all of my life up until the new birth. Shine a man about me and them which journey with me. O king, we're all flat on our faces. We are blind. Something is happening. It's a miracle. I can't explain it. This isn't in my mind. And this voice speaks to me from heaven in Hebrew. Soul, soul, why persecutest thou me? And it's fair to say in heaven, we will, we will be speaking in Hebrew, not English or even Greek for that matter. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But who are you, Lord? 15. Who are you, Jehovah? Who are you, Adonai? Who are you, Elohim? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And I want you to go to the Gentiles, to open their eyes, 18, and to turn them from darkness to light. Get them saved. Don't leave them as they are. There's no universal salvation. And from the power of Satan unto God, you are a child of Satan until you are born, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Appropriate the atonement. Help yourself. How do you do that? By turning in faith through sanctification, which is in me. From 20, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Humble yourself. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in your religion. Stop trusting other people. And put your faith and trust alone in Christ Jesus. And he builds on this theme. He wants Festus and others to know that he's not a madman. He's simply trusting the scriptures. He has thousands of years of history to fall back on. But the Jews, 20, caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Like the Catholic Church has done for centuries. Having therefore obtained help of God, 22, I continue unto this day witnessing Sharing the gospel, something you and I should be doing, both to small and great, doesn't matter who they are or what they are, saying none other things than that these things or those things which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ, being the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people, being the Jews, first of all, and to the Gentiles. Over 500 saw him at the same time after he was raised from the dead. And as he speaks and says such a thing, Festus replies with a loud voice to ridicule him, to intimidate him, or perhaps because he was filled with an unclean spirit. Paul, thou art beside thyself. You really believe that book? You really believe the word of God? You believe the Bible? That it was written by God? You believe that the world was made in six days? You're a fruitcake. Don't you know that evolution is factual? That's pretty much what Paul is up against here. Much learning, all that studying you do, reading books about the Bible, doing verse-by-verse -verse teachings, doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. I'm not mad, Mr. Prime Minister. I'm not mad, Mr. President. I'm not mad, Your Royal Highness. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. I am sober, but above all, these words are true and correct. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. Again, a remarkable statement. For this thing was not done in a corner. 
Let your light so shine before men. 27 down to 32. And I wrap this up. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Prime Minister, Mr. President, Your Majesty, do you believe the prophets? Paul is putting this man on the spot. I know that thou believest. Incredible. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And he could have been a Christian had he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no limited atonement here whatsoever. 29. I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am. Present tense, I'm saved, washed in the blood, except these bonds. And yet when you get saved, you are a bond servant to the Lord. There's no such thing as being a free person. And when he thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with him. When they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or bonds, and yet Christians all over the world are detained in jails, are being whipped, are being decapitated, are being punished for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you are in that position, you're very much in good company. And 32, one final time, and I will close today's broadcast. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. And yet Paul, very much in the will of the Lord, is going to go up to Rome, as I say, preach the gospel to them, and witness many people getting saved. So there you are, 32 verses, one broadcast, and Lord willing, next week we will continue reading the Acts of the Apostles from Acts 27.